Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, Michael Rogner, I'm glad. Coming off a win, we got a Tomahawk Nation Hoops Dedicated podcast coming off a win. FSU's B team going up to Charles, uh, not Charleston. I wish we were playing West Virginia. I like, I like that area. <laughs> going up to Charlottesville to, to take on the, the Virginia Cavaliers and coming off a win. And so what better time to hop back on the podcast Michael, how are you doing? Well, it's always fun to talk after a win. We, we got a winning streak going now. We got a winning streak of one. So that's winning streak of one. Let's see we got a winning streak against the Cavaliers. I'll say that. That is true. And I saw a bunch of Virginia folks on social media talking about how tough Florida State is every time they play. So they, they recognize it as well. Well, I mean, here's the thing. They have had Kihei Clark for a number of years. And he is not very big. And I tell you what, <laughs> when when we've seen guards like Chris Likes down at Miami for a while, Kihei Clark, uh, some others, that it's one thing to be small, but if you're quick enough to still to still get into the body of folks, it's it's another thing if you're if you're kind of jump shot reliant and, and really small, right? And you're playing against guards who are six five, six six. What, what was he three for 16 yesterday? Like, it's just not, not going to get it done. Yeah. He, 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 he was bad. And, he, and he's, I mean, he's a good player. He's, he normally knocks down, you know, at least a three or two and, and he was not able to do that yesterday, but, but Virginia runs back line defense, very similar to Louisville's defense. You know, we've had success against both of those teams. And so clear, clearly we, we've, we've kind of figured out a way to attack a pack line. And even with our, with our backups in there, we still scored more than a point per possession against 
um, Virginia, and that's including, you know, only going four for 12 from deep and six for 12 from the line. And, we, you know, we still got over a point per possession. So I'm, I, I'm not a particular fan of watching Virginia when they're not a good team. They're fun to watch when their offense is elite, but right. it's not no fun to watch like right now. And so I, I don't typically enjoy the Virginia games that much, but yesterday was, was, was pretty special. I, and, and I, I don't even want to, talk, we're not going to devote much of the pod to this, but you still just wonder when is Tony Bennett going to, going to maybe make some changes with some of the pace. I, I, there was a few moments in that game where, you know, you're playing a Florida state team that it, let's be honest, it's their B team, right? You're playing their B team and you're playing a guy, a bunch of first year guys who some of them haven't, I mean, their only experience with the pack line was playing Louisville, which went well. I mean, they did win the game, but you know, you're up 10, you're up 11. Maybe just put the hammer down. Maybe just, I don't know. Like I, we've seen a lot of teams this year who kind of ran Florida state off the gym where it's already a thin team, just ran them out of the gym. And it felt like that Virginia's pace, once again, allowed Florida state to hang in there, to hang in there. And, and all of a sudden you, you make a flurry of shots, Cleveland gets an and one and then, you know, and, and then it's a two or three point game. And then, and then anybody can win when it's a two or three point game. Well, actually when it's Florida state, most of the time, Florida state wins when it's a two or three point game. So I, they just felt like they, their pace allowed us to hang in when we probably should not have been within eight or 10, you know, late, late in the game. Yeah. And, and they haven't really had an elite defense last couple of years. And so that pace is really working against them now they're, they're last year they're pretty good offensively this year they're kind of me but they're still better in Florida State and you definitely want to maximize possessions in, in games like that and I think yesterday was 62 possessions which you know that's that's not good if you're a Virginia fan when you're when you're playing a team you should be beating yeah you're playing a team that you're better than all the metrics say you're better than and that team has limited like that team is rolling out walk-ons to play major minutes just just tired of them I, I don't know it just I thanked Virginia. I mean, it was great. I'm glad they let us hang around. I'm glad they did what, or they didn't do what Virginia Techs and Wake Forest did, which was essentially run us ragged and, and wear us out to where the last four to five minutes of those games, we just couldn't, couldn't compete. But hey, the, other, the other thing is that Florida state's found a lot of success up at JP three. If I mean, a lot of them have been on buzzer beaters, but I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I, I would bet that Florida state's record against Tony Bennett coached Virginia teams either in JP three or on neutral sites is, is probably better than most of the rest of the league. When you're talking about finding ways to win basketball, that's our third buzzer beater there in the last 10 years. We don't even play there every year. Uh, we've beaten him in the ACC tournament. I, I, to your point, we Hamilton and Stan could probably run a summer clinic on how to beat a pack line defense, but we, we've had some success in JP three. That's not an arena that has, has, I would say, given us fits. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And it's always, it's always full, you know, and it's loud and they, they, they have a good, they have, they have a good crowd. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what it is about that place that would give us an advantage, but, you know, certainly playing against pack line is good. And then, you know, if you're a Virginia fan and you have to win that game to make it to the NCAA tournament, and you lose because a walk-on has his career game. That's that's pretty rough. That was, <laughs> and, that and then was the, the the three by Cleveland at the end on a really nicely drawn up, you know, 
out of bounds play was great pass. Woo! How about? I mean, that was just the only place that pass could be for the play to work. Yeah, the pass was probably better than the shot. The shot was pretty damn good. And the, the one thing about the pass is the defender was jumping up and down. Yep. And it gave Prieto the opportunity to throw the pass as the guy was landing. That's right. That's right. It, if he would have just stayed on his feet and tried to jump and you know time it, then Prieto probably wouldn't have been able to make that. I mean, it almost looked like a defensive that. lineman that had like jumped and, and the quarterback mm-hmm. just waited for his arms to come down. Yeah, yeah. And then he immediately ran and jumping into Coach Jones' arms after uh, Cleveland made the shot because yeah. Coach, Coach, Coach Jones Stan is the one is the one who, who drew the play up. So it all yeah. worked out. It, it did all work out. I it's a little I'm kind of like the, the mere fact that that Virginia was being spoken of as like a potential on the wrong side, but still a potential bubble team. I'm just kind of like, wow, is that how bad the bubble is this year? Because I, I'm going to be honest, that UVA team against some of our more recent Florida State teams would have lost by 20. That I mean, the the Patrick Williams, Devin Vassell team would have <laughs> absolutely <laughs> destroyed that team uh i mean limited possession still isn't going to be a 30 point win but that would have been a 75 55 kind of win for for those teams so the fact that uva is even being mentioned as a bubble team is a little eye-opening but i i gotta say it felt kind of good to sorry to uva fans but to kind of end a team season like that we, we've oh, been yeah. on that side of the bubble quite a number of times so that's part of sports. And if you want to be, you want to come out on the right side of those things. Yeah. So uh, lots of fun. I always a good time to watch a buzzer beater, always a good time to watch a buzzer beater against an opponent that we've had a lot of fun battles with and, and led by, you know, for as much, for as much as we give him hell for the pace, Tony Bennett is still a hell of a coach and still has, it does a great job of identifying guys who fit his system and can play, play, you know, the pace that he wants to play. Um, let's, let's maybe flip the rest of this podcast on its head. And instead of waiting till the end to maybe preview the games that are coming up, why don't we take five, eight minutes to just talk about our feelings on the next couple of games. And then, uh, which would be two home games against Notre Dame and NC state. And then, uh, instead we will use maybe the remainder of the time to discuss, just some positives that we do. I mean, it's been a hard season for everybody. It's been a grind. Let's just, let's just look at some positives that maybe we could take uh, from this year and maybe build on during the summer for, for next year. Could sprinkle in a little golf talk at the end. Never know. Uh, the t- tournament's coming over to Florida soon. And it's always fun to get that uh, to just get the PGA tour up and going again. But um, yeah. So is that good with you? Talk. Notre yeah, Dame sounds great. First. All right. Yeah, Notre Dame. I think they're going to, be the shit out of us but what do you think <laughs> well you know they play slow and they shoot a ton of threes and so if they make them it's a double digit win for another game it's basically one of those games where everybody's going to be yelling like why aren't we guarding the three-point line and why aren't you know but you know that's what their entire offense is schemed to get open threes and if they're knocking them down we got no chance so, so let me get this straight their entire offense is schemed to get open threes uh and our defense is schemed to take away inside shots. Right. So I, I, I'm not feeling very good about this. First of all, let's just, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a talented, experienced squad, right? At the beginning of the year, you and I both pegged Notre Dame as potential to finish 
in the top four of the ACC, and they are absolutely going to finish in the top four of the ACC, maybe even could win the ACC. They still have a potential to win the regular season. So Notre Dame is an NCAA tournament squad. Notre Dame is a talented team, probably more blue chip recruits than Florida State. I'm sure you have that uh, somewhere. And they take and make threes at a high clip. I'm going to say that I'm going to say that Wednesday, is it Wednesday? They're playing Wednesday? I don't think it goes well. Yeah, they, and they're also old and very experienced to add to all, all of those. And playing for an ACC title. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they, and to answer your question, they have, they have six blue chips. We have four. So, oh, like, nice. like the majority of teams in the ACC, they have more blue chips than Florida State. So, uh, I, I just, I just, I don't know. I feel like our offense has, we've talked about it on our previous pod. Our offense has actually shot better on the road and neutral site games than it has at home this year. We just have not shot the ball well at home. Other teams have shot quite well in Tucker center. And, and I would be surprised if Florida state keeps it within eight. Um, anything else yeah. you want to say about Notre Dame? <laughs> uh, just uh, in ACC play, they're number one in three point percentage. Number uh, one. Number one. The only thing that they don't do well is they don't uh, really go. They don't. They don't go after offensive rebounds. So they're going to be in, in addition to raining threes on us. They're going to be selling out to take out, take away our transition and force us to be a half court team. And, oh, oh, that so, is yeah. right where we thrive. <laughs> Sarcasm being laid on thick. Uh, I curious is Florida State bottom two, bottom one in three point percentage. Uh, opponent three-point percentage in in the ACC play. Um, an opponent three-point percentage. We are we are not bottom two. We're, oh wow! We're actually there are two teams that are worse: Virginia Tech and NC State. So you know what? That was almost like I planned it. That's a great segue. So if Notre Dame is, I think, a likely loss, we do have NC State. I think they're the last place team in the league or tied for last. They've certainly, uh, they, they've actually had some injuries too. They certainly appear to have quit on the season. UNC just went into Raleigh yesterday and well, a made me some money because the four and a half line was a joke and B they were leading that they were comfortably <laughs> up by 15 or 20 points the entire game. That's a rivalry game, by the way, at home for NC state that they just didn't even appear like they got up for it at all. I do think that we can win on senior night against NC state. Yeah. You know, they, their season kind of all went to hell in the first minute of the season when, when uh, Manny Bates got hurt Mm -hmm. Uh, and they stink. They've lost eight of their last nine, I believe. And Mm -hmm. and, uh, if you're looking at conference only stats, they're dead last in defense. We're actually third from last, so we're a little, little better than them. And their offense is, you know, kind of in the middle. Uh, but I, I would think that based on the way that they've, they've played recently, that we'll certainly be favored. I don't know that we'll beat them, but we should beat them because, you know, this is, this is going to be a battle of, of kind of two not very good teams, but we're, we're better than them. Yeah, and there's a there's a possibility. The last time that I spoke with the staff down uh, down on campus, there's I mean, there's definitely a possibility that Anthony Polite is able to at least give some minutes for that game. I don't know that. 
I don't know that he would, you know, probably be a 25 minute force, but just having another guy, having him back to be able to play, let's call it 12 minutes. And that's 12 minutes that we don't have, you know, a walk on or something that is, uh, or, or just 12 minutes of, of a guy who knows where he's supposed to be and is playing good defense against, against a team that ha- does have an NBA player. Darion Sebron is, is going to play in the NBA. I kind of think that he already realizes that. And given the fact that his team, his team season is basically over, he's sort of transitioned into don't get hurt to ruin my NBA <laughs> chances. Um, so maybe that is good for us. We've seen that in the past with other NC state players like Dennis Smith. Um, but I, I do think that – well, and here's another stat for you. We haven't lost a senior day game since the 2014 season. Now, I know we've had a lot of good teams since 2014, but 2015 was not a very good team, and 2016 was an NIT team as well. Uh, so we haven't lost a senior day game since since the 2014 season, and we've only lost one or two over the last 20 years. Uh, so there is that. And, and, hey, you know what? If you're listening to this and you're in Tallahassee, that kind of reminds me. The season kind of is over, but there are reasons to go to this game. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you four, Michael, four reasons. Number one, the guys haven't quit. So you shouldn't quit on the guys. That's the first, like the guys have not quit. Look at what we just saw in the UVA game. Uh, So that that's the first and foremost reason. Number two, Anthony polite and, and Malik Osborne probably isn't, he isn't going to play, but he'll be there. I mean, those guys have given a lot to the program over the last four or five years, they've been a part of some excellent teams, some excellent cultures and really change helped, you know, change the culture of the program. Those guys deserve to have some folks out there giving them some support uh, on senior night, giving them a nice cheer. Uh, Number three, I'll say we haven't lost a senior night game since 2014. So that that's impressive. And we haven't lost, we haven't had a losing season overall since the Von Wafer year of 2005. So we're, we're talking about almost 20 years of not having a losing season. That means something to the program, continuing that culture, establishing that like, Hey, we're not going to have a losing season. We, the football teams had a losing season, like three of the last four years. And, and the basketball hasn't since 20, 2005, the team's got to get one more win somewhere. They've got to get one more win to not have a losing season. So that means something. And the fourth reason I'll give is because if you have any miracle Lloyd Christmas hopes of making a run to the ACC tournament title, um, it's, it's a lot easier to do that by having a buy. So, you know, go out there, Florida state can lock up having a single, uh, at least a one day buy and only have to play four games in the ACC tournament as opposed to playing five. So so that's it. Matt Minix, four reasons. If you live anywhere in Tallahassee, Quincy, Chipley, whatnot, come on out for the last two games, even though we are not likely to play in the postseason. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add one more to that. I, I think you may have given five. Maybe my math is. The there, winning but... streaks were combined. The, okay. the 2014, right. yeah, there was a good. combined reason. All right. So, so reason number five, I've heard all for years about from, from Florida State students complaining about the seats, complaining about the number of seats and where the seats are. And then we have a season like this and you look up into the student section at the end of the year and it's eh, pretty scanty. Um, and so with back when with the students used to be on the baseline, the team or, or on the sideline, the team was terrible. Way worse. Looked, yeah, way worse than this. And it just looked awful on TV because no students showed up. So. Students, if you want better seats, you got to you got to show up. You got to fill out for games like you know, for games like senior night. And then 
One other thing I, I thought about when you were talking was, uh, um, this is our, I, I believe it's our 45th podcast. It is. And if you, if you, 45 is not a very popular uh, basketball number. It's more like a walk-on football fullback or something. Um, but if, but if you go back in the Wayback Machine, uh, Michael Polite actually wore number 45 at Florida State. So maybe, maybe this pod will be the juju to bring his son back healthy to kind of lead us to the, to the promised land of one ACC tournament winner. I love it. That, yeah. Anthony, if you're listening, do it, do it for your dad's number. Come on back and hit three threes on senior day for your dad's number. Uh, okay. So great. We talked, the UVA game was a lot of fun and Notre Dame game is probably not going to be a lot of fun, but fans should show up anyways. And the game, the senior day on Saturday against NC state, we should, I would love to see 8,000 fans in the seats there and really supporting uh, a team that had a hell of a tough, you know, hand given to it this year and they've battled, they've fought anyways, and they're trying, they're trying their damnedest to not have a losing season. So go on out and support those guys in their effort. Let's, um, I tell you what, let's take a quick break so that we don't get caught too far. I, you know, those ads, guys run the ad machines they're always giving us hell so let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk some positives maybe some individual player development why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with royal caribbean you don't just go to the beach you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in north america you don't just go for a road trip you atv and zip line through the jungle you don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right. Welcome back. We have, we have discussed the UVA buzzer beater by Matthew Cleveland, the walk-off, uh, with, with the walk-on making the pass for the walk-off shot, Harrison Prieto. Uh, we have discussed the Notre Dame and NC State upcoming games. There's an ACC tournament to be played after that where you're guaranteed at least one game, but I think that Michael and I are going to try try hard to get a, another pot in before the ACC tournament. And, and so, Michael, why don't we turn our attention a little bit to – I'd love to hear your thoughts on some – some either individual development that you've seen from some guys or some just team kind of general, the team appears to be grasping this better over the last four or five games, because when the injuries started mid January, I mean, the first few, like that UNC game was brutal after it. And, and like, I don't know, there was some times where I wasn't sure we were going to win another game. And yet the team has found a way to beat Clemson found a way to play Duke really tough. I think it's an overrated Duke squad, but nonetheless play Duke really tough go on the road and beat UVA that is on their senior day fighting for an NCAA tournament bid. Surely there has to be some things that have improved uh, despite all the negativity. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts. Yeah. After that North Carolina game, the, the offense has been surprisingly good. I mean, it was really good against Clemson more than a point per possession against Duke, uh, same against Virginia was awful against DC, but three, you know, three out of four games that were pretty good. And I, I think that, you know, one thing that these guys are figuring out in the absence of Caleb Mills and Raekwon Evans for a little bit there and, and polite and Osborne is the way different ways that they can attack going downhill. That's not necessarily in transition. So I think our, 
our half court offense, you know, the young guys are, are kind of starting to pick it up. Cleveland is, you know, he's in double figures every night. Um, well, that's down, volume, but, but someone has to shoot. Yeah, yeah. right. Somebody, I mean, somebody's somebody's got to do it. That's that's the Wilkes argument is somebody's got to shoot because nobody <laughs> else is. Um, Butler, you know, has, has been showing off a few new moves, which is nice. Worley has been has has flashed a little bit. And so, so I, th- I think that their ability to kind of grasp that that real basic concept of the offense is that we always want to be getting to the rim. Um, is, is finally starting to pay off because I'm sure that the coaches have been in their ear, ears for a few months now. So that, that's definitely a big positive that I've seen. You think Worley maybe more than some of the other, I mean, cause Butler was actually, he's, he didn't dabbled in the starting lineup earlier in the year before uh, Naheem McLeod came back and, and really had a nice couple of stretches, nice couple of games there. But do you think Worley has, has he, has his just, what is it? Maybe a, confidence or knowing that he's going to have to stay in and play it feels like since Caleb Mills went down with injury he's really flashed some of the playmaking skills that we saw coming out I mean he's never going to be an elite he's not Trent Forrest in the sense that you know he's going to go up and dunk over jo- uh, Jordan Noir or uh, two NBA players going at each other but that doesn't mean that he can't really impact a game with with his pace with his ability to manipulate defenders and get to his spots and then make passes. Do you think that's been part of just, he kind of has had more, he kind of has to be the guy to do it now. I kind of wonder how much he really listened when he was being recruited, because, you know, when you come to Florida state, you can't expect to play heavy minutes, but he he just seems like a guy who, who really wants and needs um, a lot of minutes. And so, yeah, I, I would agree with you that, that, that the, the uh, you know, sort of the foreknowledge of knowing that you're going to have to play a lot of minutes because a bunch of guys are injured has been beneficial to him. And, and he's been one of the, the big, uh, you know, movers and what I was talking about earlier in, in terms of getting to the rim. And he's kind of, he's kind of figured out that with it, how to, you know, he can use his size to get past, you know, legit college players and get, and get to the rim and, and he's always looking, you know, he's got that nice little pocket pass. He's all, you know, he's always looking to distribute. Um, he had one really bad connection with Matthew Cleveland. It should have been a dunk in the Virginia game. But other than that, um, you know, he, he's, you know, he's looking to distribute the ball and he's, he's, he's doing the right things. And I think the coaches uh, were not particularly enamored with uh, his response early in the season when he wasn't getting a ton of minutes. And they, and they seem to be, if you look at the body language on the sideline, it's, it's instead of having coach Smith and his face yelling at him, it's a lot more of like CY working on, you know, the little fundamentals of the games, which, which, which is, you know, positive to see uh, with Worley. Yeah. He, he reminds me, Josh Pick and I were talking uh, during the EVA game. He reminds me of a running back who just needs to get carries early in the game. He just, his third and fourth quarter, metaphorically speaking, goes better when he gets carries early in the game. Now at Florida state, you're not always going to get fed the ball. You're not just going to get fed these carries early on. You got to be able to figure out a way um, we we've seen guys like Trent Forrest, like Terrence Mann, like Devin Vassell, that they are able to get into their rhythm and their spots, even when they're not being force fed the ball. And, and that's where our system has worked. Um, I it's almost totally agree about the body language. There were some games midway through the year. Well, I mean, there's, 
it's it's not a, it's not a like a tightly kept secret that you know freshmen in general it's it's it's, a, it's hard to to make that transfer to a new city a new state for some a new uh, group of friends classes girlfriend problems stuff back home right and so i he, i don't think he was all that happy in tallahassee to be quite honest and i don't think that's you know like a tightly kept secret just look at his body language it almost feels like it shifted when there was that hard fight, what was it? Uh, which team were you playing? We, there was the almost a fight, right? The guy goes over and, and, and Jalen's right there in the middle of it. And, and it's almost like that for the first time you saw him feel like a brother with his guy, with his fellow teammates on, on the court. Yeah, that was the Boston College game where uh, where they're, they're big mug in the middle. Yeah. The post, he like – he first his foul should have been a technical and then he you know some extracurricular after that and then yeah that's when Worley ran over and got in his face and got got pushed down I don't think you see that from him in December I'm just gonna be honest I don't think that you see him run into the, the fray like that in December I'm not suggesting that I want all of our guys to be thugs that go get <laughs> like technically you know get ejected from games and stuff but that to me at least shows me a guy who I don't know what is going to like there's listen thousand transfers a year we, we've got three or four transfers on our team right so if, if transfers weren't happening we wouldn't even have players like Caleb Mills mm-hmm. and Malik Osborne and you know these guys David Nichols in you know previous seasons but I, I that to me for the first time felt like a guy where I'm seeing okay he he is buying into what the team is selling and and you know you've really seen the last four or five games Jalen Worley maybe take on some of that ownership of being a positive contributor, regardless of whether you're getting like your carries, metaphorically speaking. Uh, let's talk about another freshman, Matthew Cleveland. Um, I, I noticed I was looking at some stats. He's made six threes on the year, including his buzzer beater three. Mm-hmm. That's not very good, <laughs> but five of those six have come in ACC play. So there's something there. And to your point, he's getting to his spots in the lane with a lot more consistency and a lot more uh, the, the handles gotten a little tighter. It's not quite as far out away from his body. And, and he's also figuring out how to use his positional size like Worley to get to his spots. He's such a long strider. You know, he's got that, that this really long step that he he's kind of figured it out that if, if he can, if, if he has an advantage after that first step, then there's no, there's no slowing him down. And earlier in the season, he was, he was a little more, you know, tentative about that. I think a lot of it is the charge calls and a lot of it is just, you know, not used to, to playing against the speed of, you know, NCAA defenses, but, but yeah, he's, he has definitely turned it on and, uh, you know, next year's team, if, if he's back, I mean, he's going to be the guy from day one and uh, he's going to really be able to build on, these late, late, you know, season minutes. Somebody asked Ham the other the, a few a few games ago, like, isn't it great that all these young guys, you know, are, are getting extended minutes because of the injuries? And Ham's answer was, well, that doesn't help me win tonight, which which is true. But yeah. it is good that they're getting the extra minutes, and and it should you know it should pay off for last year. If you look at his last three games, I mean, he's basically been on the bench a total of eight minutes in three games. So. Oh, he's playing. He's playing Tony Douglas minutes the last few games. I mean, I think for the season, he's up close around 60, 60 to 65 percent of the minutes, uh, possible minutes played, which for a freshman, 
is is that is not common in the ACC period or at Florida State, a team that is you know notorious for keeping guys not not uh, keeping them off the court, but just keeping guys fresh and keeping guys to where they're not uh, getting bogged down at the end of the games. I would say that his defense has really taken a step too. I mean, we've seen him now. I felt like in the Duke game and in the Virginia game, you're starting to see him rotate on time. You're starting to see him understand what using your positional length to disrupt a smaller guard on the perimeter means and not just diving for every or not reaching for every steal, but being in position the way you see a Raekwon Evans be in position to get a deflection or, or just shut the guy off from where he wants to go. I, I think his defense not elite, but has taken a, a noticeable step up over the last 10 or 12 games. And that's, that's why he's getting minutes. If he just a body type, he's a lot like Devin Vassell. You know, he's, he's certainly, uh, you know, on a di- different learning curve than Vassell was. It was well, he doesn't shoot 40% from three. Yeah. And, and Vassell was just a, a totally unique guy. Um, but Cleveland's got that same body type, you know, he's kind of six, seven and lean and long armed and, and, you know, he's, he's getting a lot of minutes because he, he takes up a bunch of space on the court and is, and is hopefully trying kind of figuring in the defense out. He needs, you know, obviously a lot of help around him because yeah. our defense has not been good, but it, you know, it starts with one guy. This is no knock on Matthew Cleveland. I don't know that he'll ever have quite a level of defensive awareness and defensive IQ as Devin Fussell, because let's just be honest about this. Greg Popovich, maybe the best basketball coach in American history has, has called Devin Vassell one of his most instinctually gifted defenders that he's ever had. And, and Vassell himself is getting more minutes than any rookie or second year Spurs since Kawhi Leonard. So you're talking about one of the most uniquely gifted defenders ever to come through Florida state. I don't know if Matthew Cleveland will ever reach that level, but if he's even getting 80% of what Devin Vassell could do disruptive wise from a defensive standpoint, by the end of next year, you're going to talk about a really uh, impactful two-way player in, in ACC play. If, if Cleveland makes the wise decision to come back and elevate himself from fringe draft pick to first round draft pick. And one thing that's kind of lost in the fray with Cleveland is that he didn't really turn the ball over there. There are two freshmen in the top 14 in the conference in terms of turnover percentage. And he is, he's one of them. So the other, the other is AJ Griffin at, at, at Duke, who's going to be what a 10th pick be, or something. Yeah. He'll be a draft late lotto pick, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that is, is some, another valuable thing to have on the court, especially when he can just grab the rebound and go. You know, you, you can you can pretty much you know, take it to the bank that he is going to the rim if he if he can get there. And the only turnovers he's really committing are have been on charges. Charges, right? Non steal turnovers, which frankly are the mm-hmm. best kind. Um, okay, so let's pivot over to Cameron Fletcher. He body type Cameron Fletcher sort of to me is a mix between Matthew Cleveland and Patrick Williams. He is not quite as thick and he doesn't have the hand size as a Patrick Williams, but he does have a bit more mature physicality and um, just overall weight and muscle mass that a Matthew Cleveland doesn't. We have seen uh, Cameron Fletcher when he's in control, we have seen him flash that Patrick Williams ability to block shots. He, He is able to protect at the rim. He is able to jump passing lanes 
uh, he is able to get down in a stance and defend guys who are maybe a, a one or a two, but also, you know, operate down in the block as a small ball four. Offensively right now, Cameron Fletcher does two things. Well, he shoots the three fairly well and he uh, finishes on the break pretty well. I, I don't know that there's a lot rest of his, his offensive game right now, but he has certainly had an uptick in minutes. Have you, what have you seen from him that has, giving you hope that, Hey, this is a guy that, you know, next year can turn into, to, you know, consistent, you know, sixth man or starter. And he's also been able to drive from the corner, which, which is nice, you know, do a little pump fake and drive. And, but his, but his offensive game is certainly limited. And he, he is, you know, if, if you watch him in one game, he looks like he's all conference player. And then you watch him the next game and it's like, how is this guy even on the floor? So he's, his consistency is, is certainly not there. And I wouldn't expect it to be there as, as early as next year, but that's probably why he was a, you know, top 80 recruit instead of a top, you know, 30 recruit or something like that. But he certainly has a lot of tools that will enable him to be a good player. It's just a matter of, can he put them together? You know, if we go back to Patrick Williams, not that I'm comparing these two, but if, if you just look at Patrick Williams at the beginning of the year, you can, you can see that he had all these tools. He just didn't know how to put them together to be a really efficient basketball player. Right. And by the end, by the end of the year, by he, the Louisville he, game, he put them all together. Yeah, yeah, he put them all together. And so Cameron Fletcher's just on a different uh, trajectory, but he's he's got a, a impressive set of skills, but he hasn't figured out how to turn that into success on a basketball court, or at least consistent success. And so, I think they're kind of bringing him along slowly this year because of, you know, he's got sort of a, a little bit of a checkered past with which how well he handles coaching. Um, and then next year, hopefully, you know, if, if all goes well this year, then next year he should, he should be, you know, a starter and, and, you know, earning certain top, certainly top five in, in minutes played. Um, and, and he's a good rebounder you know, he's a good shooter. He's, he's got those skills. So. He, so. he could be, I, I would, this is maybe going to be, I don't know, maybe it's not a hot take. If he grew up with Terrence Mann's mom, mm-hmm. right? Terrence Mann's mom, who was a bat, like <laughs> a, 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 coll- a collegiate basketball coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he grew up with Terrence Mann's mom, and, I, and this is in no way a reflection of, of Cameron Fletcher's parenting. I don't even know. I, for all I know, he had great parents. If he grew up with a mom who was a collegiate basketball player, I would think that next year, Cameron Fletcher would look a lot like sophomore or junior year Terrence Mann except for the fact that Cameron Fletcher actually has a better three-point shot. Um, And he has that similar ability to, if he can harness, if he can play under control, play with pace, you know, appropriate kind of change of pace and harness what the coaches are, are showing him on film. He has that sort of unique ability to fill up a a box score when, when you don't even really notice what's going on. The next thing you know, you look Mm -hmm. up and he's got four rebounds, two blocks, two steals and eight points. Um. Yeah, he's he's been really terrible one-on-one defender, but he is a pretty good team defender. Like it, it often looks like the other team is just passing the ball to him because he's he's really quick to jump into passing lanes. He's second in the ACC in steal percentage, um, and he, and he's a good rebounder. And you know he might he might with Osborne out, he might be the best rebounder we have. So you know he's doing good things on defense. He's just not really. Um, understanding the, the 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 total concept of what he needs to do on defense. Yeah, I I will say that if Matthew Cleveland had Cameron Fletcher's three point shot, we would not have Matthew Cleveland on <laughs> yeah. campus next season. So I don't know. Maybe there's a blessing in disguise there. 
so we talked to Worley, Cleveland, Fletcher. How about Butler? Are, are we seeing things? I, you mentioned a couple of skills. I saw one, the pump fake from the three step into the uh, NBA 16 footer. That's a new skill that I, I, I think that's even been developed in the last, like, I don't know, four weeks. I'm not even sure I saw that on his high school tape. Uh, talk to me about Butler. We know he needs to add weight. He needs to add just sheer muscle mass. But talk to me what you've seen uh, from from Butler, another inconsistent freshman, which is basically to say a freshman. Yeah, he's he I think has, has improved a little bit on the offensive glass. He was basically just non-existent um, early in the season, uh, and and he's actually starting to get some offensive rebounds. So even though he, you know, he 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 weighs less than any of the walk-ons, he. He's, he's figuring out a way to, to get to the boards. His three-point shot has totally fallen off the board. He was he was a great three-point shooter early in the season. Now everything is is pretty far off. So that's probably a sign that he's kind of running out of gas. Um, I think he's played way more minutes than what the coaching staff would have expected coming into the season. Yeah, in the last two games he's played twenty-seven and twenty-nine, which is which is too much for our system. It's too much for anybody. And if you're seven foot one, it's it's definitely too much. Uh, but Coach Hamilton this is kind of off on a tangent, but but Coach Hamilton has said that that he's not really interested in trying to implement new things this late in the season um, because you know basically he recognizes this is not a tournament team. There's no need to do that. So he's just focusing on the, the core principles of what Florida State needs to do, um, you know, to, to make the team better for next year. And, and I think that Butler is. Uh, all of these heavy minutes is going to give him lots of tape, which is, which is what he needs um, to be really able to sit down with the coaches and, and, and walk through like why what he's doing is good and why what he's doing is bad. Um, Cause it seems like he just, he got so big so fast or so tall so fast that, um, you know, his game has just been like all over the place from being a point guard to being a center to not knowing what the hell he's doing. So I, I think they'll be able to center him a little bit and, 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 give him a, a, a better sort of predefined role for next year, you know, similar to like what they did with John Isaac. I was just about to say, would you like to see him in the John Isaac role? Yeah. I mean, John Isaac was different. He was, he was certainly, uh, his body was a lot different. I, I, I kind of like Butler uh, playing out outside a little bit more. Um, I mean, he almost because- is, seems I would say he's laterally quicker than John Isaac, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think Butler has the ability to 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 be a true positionless player, and I'm I'm not sure that Isaac, you know, maybe he did, and he certainly does does now if he's ever not injured. Um, but you know, Butler is has has the ability to be that really true positionless player, which uh, you know, with next year's class coming in, you know, we're kind of going all in, except for a couple of the centers. Um, so, you know, he'll certainly be a, a really important piece moving forward. Butler. So I, I talk to a lot of the NBA scouts when, when I'm at the games at the tuck, they're, they're usually sitting right down next, uh, next to the press. And so sometimes their conversation, I mean, I, you know, how, how much can we talk to the same Florida state beat guys? Right. But uh, not, I like them. I enjoy the conversations, but sometimes it's good to get a different perspective and, Butler's game against Duke put him on the NBA scout radar. He, the way he was able to handle Paolo Banquero, uh, I, I, I've spoken directly to scouts that have said, we, we came back to check out more of John Butler. In, in a way, I'm almost maybe a little bit glad that he's hit the freshman wall because I think he's gone from 
maybe could have been a mid second rounder a month ago. I'm not actually sure that he is worth. This is a hard one for me as someone who watches a lot of the NBA, he's definitely worth a draft pick right now. If, if you're a team who believes in your ability to, to develop a player through your G league system to get him onto maybe two years from now, a two-year contract. Right. Like if you're a team that believes that in your in your, you know, your development staff's ability, it's probably worth the 35th or 45th pick because most of those guys aren't making a roster anyways. Uh, if you don't believe, I mean, I, from a John Butler standpoint, if I am John Butler's father, mother, agent. I, I from what I've heard, I think that if he can even demonstrate a little bit of ability to to put on some weight to finish at the rim with a little more aggression. I mean, great. We've seen it. He can shoot, but to finish at the rim and to be a bit better of a rebounder. Uh, I, I think you're talking lotto pick with, the, I mean, I I'm serious folks. If, if, if you're in the Butler family or, you know, the Butler family, like Stan Jones will turn that kid into a lotto pick, which comes with like a guaranteed $15 million. If you just wait, probably 18 months. <laughs> So that would be my hope is that he comes back and does those things because you're right. He has that rare ability to truly be a positionless player. Um, I think if he stayed three, if he stayed through his junior year, I could legit see him as ACC player of the year. If he stayed through his junior season, like we're, we're at that point, we're talking Chet Holmgren level top four pick. My guess is, is that because of his length, he would probably be drafted somewhere between 12 and 24 if he just stays for his sophomore year versus right now. Sure. Maybe you can go to the combine and intrigue one team to pick, get, you know, they'll pick you 48th and you'll get a few hundred grand and hopefully make, make it to your second contract. Uh, but I mean, he, yeah. it'll, it'll be interesting to see if he can really put on weight and explosiveness in his lower body, you know, cause he's, he's not the most explosive player in the world, but he still should dunk the ball more than he does. And he doesn't need um, to be the most explosive player in the right. world to still dunk the ball more than he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he said one, you don't have to go that high to, to dunk it. And uh, his, his upper body, you know, he's kind of narrow through the shoulders. So he's never going to be, you know, one of these. Uh, he won't ever be Giannis. You're right. He's not going to look like a superhero, but he won't ever be Giannis, but he definitely can be at Chet Holmgren's level. Who's about to be a top four pick. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, he can be Michael Porter level. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I was, I was just, I was, I was trying to think of a, of a quick joke about uh, a home rim getting shut down by the scrubs at St. Mary's last night, but I couldn't come up with anything. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I mean, I honestly don't know. And by the way, Holmgren is almost 20. Let's just throw that out there. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't pick him first. I would definitely go with Jabari Smith over at Auburn, who is an absolute freak of nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Holmgren's almost 20. John Butler is not. So let's just put that like, I, I mean, John Butler can be the, the difference is, is that Holmgren plays with an aggression. Holmgren plays with an aggressive. I'm going to rip the rim down mentality that John Butler's got to find a way to develop. Yeah, I want I want to send a, a clip from from Holmgren from last night to to Butler where Holmgren comes down with the rebound, dribbles the length of the court, sees a seam, takes off from basically the foul line, and you know throws it down two handed, and it just yeah. it just it, it silenced the crowd. I, um, I would love in a in a meaningless game next year that we're already going to win by twenty five. I'd be thrilled if John Butler 
got ejected because he blocked a dude's shot and like stood over him and finger wagged or something, right? Like get a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. Yeah, it's, it's rare to see somebody who's a really good shot blocker because he's fifth in the ACC not have that chip on his shoulder because most yeah. shot blockers are, like, no, that's, their, that's their thing. He's doing it right now because he's that long and that laterally quick. Yeah. Which is pretty, pretty unique. You put him with a, with a Matthew Cleveland who takes another leap up in defensive ability and you're starting to really talk about a defensive team yeah. next year. Uh, okay. I, we have a couple minutes left. I don't know that, I mean, Raekwon Evans and Harrison Prieto are not going to be back next year. Um, they, they can't be back next year, but I'd love to just, we should mention that they've actually been showing some nice stuff too lately. So I, real quick, is there something that you've seen from Wake Raekwon Evans over the last five or six games where the light has, has switched? It's hard to say for just kudos to Prieto for stepping in and filling a role yeah. and, and being a guy that, I mean, he's clearly overmatched physically. He's clearly not um, someone who would be getting these minutes if we didn't have injuries, but we do have injuries. And, and he made some big shots yesterday against UVA and had a hell of a pass to, to set up the game winner. Evans is someone who's had, who's had a, a hard time sometimes with the confidence that you're as good as, as others maybe think you are. And we've really seen him step up uh, in, in late games situations down the stretch too. Yeah. I, th- I think that, you know, one area where he's really excelled is, is, you know, being that leader where he is in a, not a good position, you know, not only with it, with his family, but, but with, uh, you know, having to kind of, be on the court with four guys who basically don't know what they're doing half the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a tough job, but then, you know, right, right after uh, Matthew Cleveland hit that shot. Uh, yes. Yesterday, the first person he mentioned was Raekwon Evans, you know, cause Raekwon Evans came up to him and, and told him he wanted him to take that shot and that he was going to make it, um, you know, and it, and it, and it, and uh, Matthew Cleveland wasn't even expecting to get the ball until, you know, until uh, Raekwon Evans told him that. So it, it's, it's it's a not a great position to be in, but we should be talking about him kind of in the same breath as like David Nichols, you know, this guy who transferred in and played mm-hmm. played some really serious good minutes. It's just unfortunate that you know one of his seasons got ended because of COVID, and then you know, and then uh, or I guess the first two seasons he played here were kind of screwed up because of COVID. And yeah, then I mean, let's not forget Raekwon Evans had a great game against Louisville in the in the Patrick Williams Tomahawk Hammer game right before mm-hmm. COVID into the season. I mean, he was really coming into his own there. Um, so, I I will say, you know how there's that saying of don't don't allow one loss to become two losses. I would say that if this if this program is able to not allow one missed tournament season to turn into two missed tournament seasons. I would say that, uh, of, of course, guys like Polite and, and Osborne have been, but we don't need to talk about the country. I mean, they've been great too, but I would say that Raekwon Evans is, is going to, when looking back with the perspective of time will be a major part of it, of why this, this program would maybe just have it be a one-year blip as opposed to a trend. Yeah. And, you know, I would, the reason we don't need to talk about Polite and Osborne is because they're obviously you know, already in that position. Yeah. And it's worth noting, too, people people keep asking on the boards. Yes, Polite and Osborne, both of them could potentially come back. 
that like that they have the ability, unlike Raekwon Evans, to come back and play another year. I don't personally think either one of them will. If I had, if you told me like, well, you have to pick which one would be more likely, I'd say maybe Osborne because of all the uh, community leadership stuff that he does in terms of at Florida State and and just the he's a little bit younger than Polite and, and how much he values uh, you know degrees and stuff. He already has one working on a second. I, I'd still say that both of them are probably under twenty five percent. But anyways. I think that they do, to answer the question, in theory, could come back. Yeah, I'd be shocked if either come back. They both should go, they both should go pro, go overseas and make money. And yep. Polite is is even better because he speaks the five languages and is used mm. to living overseas and wouldn't count against uh against their European rosters are only allowed to have so many American players. Uh, and so he wouldn't count against that. All right, we're Right out about time, but uh, hey, golf is rap is is picking up. I do you know where Daniel Berger had a third round lead coming into the Honda uh, here? I, I don't know if he's still in the lead or not. Um, maybe you can give us an update. But also, Michael, you are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to just some of the lower uh, tier guys on, on from the FSU. And you know, who are some guys that as the PGA swing starts to get into the the full season? Uh, who, who are some guys that I can be watching for or making my bets for uh, coming in on, on uh, Saturdays and Sundays? A year for your first question with Berger, he had a, he, he was running away with it. He had a five shot lead. Uh, I think, I think at one point it, it, it was a six shot lead and um, that lead was gone after five holes today. So he is currently two shots back of Shane, La- Shane Lowry and they have five holes left to play. So. Oh, the old Irishman. Yeah. So he's, he's kind of collapsing. Ke- Kepka played well. Chase Seifert, you know, had a, had a solid finish, but, but, you know, Florida state is still in that position where they've got two world-class golfers, Berger and Kepka are both top 20. And then there's nobody from 20 to 200. So there's just like that, that depth that you see from schools like Georgia and Oklahoma state and Alabama and whatever are, are where they seem to have somebody in the running every week on the PGA tour Florida state just doesn't have that depth yet, but they've got, you know, a bunch of good guys that are, that are playing at the lower levels. So we'll, you know, we'll see if any of them are able to, to, to really turn out. John Pack's got a number of starts on the PGA tour. He's, he's on the corn Ferry tour and, and uh, Vincent Norman, who was his teammate is doing even better on the corn Ferry tour. Uh, let's see Bjorn Helgren, who's, who's probably like 29 or 30 years old now, but he's, he's finally got, got status and he's playing on the Asian tour. And then we have, I think four different golfers playing on the, the Latin America and PGA tour Canada tour. So there's lots of lower guys that the, the team is turning out more pros than it used to. Uh, it's just, it remains to be seen if any, any of them are going to become mainstays on, on the PGA tour, which is obviously the, you know, the guys that we're watching from week to week. Pick me a guy. I, I give you free $25 to go up to the roulette table and place your bet. Pick me a guy that in five years, wh- who would be in the top 200 besides Berger and Kepka? Uh, I'd, I'd take Vincent Norman. He's, he's really played well since he, since he got out of college. And he, he finished second in the Corn Ferry qualifying tournament. And he's, he's, he's had a few good weeks out there. And I think a lot of people would take John Pack because he was the national player of the year. Uh, but he his pro career has not gotten off to a very good start. And I think a lot of that is uh, just poor strategy on his part, um, playing way too many PGA Tour events as a uh, – you know, getting getting the sponsors exemption and not really focusing on the Corn Ferry Tour is his way to get out there. So he's in danger of just like 
falling off the map and not having any status uh, after being the, the national player of the year. So he certainly got the, the talent. He doesn't hit, he doesn't hit the ball a mile like a lot of these guys, but he's, he's got the talent to be out there. It just remains to be seen if he can, if he can put it together. But for now I would, I would take Norman. He's, Vincent Norman. He's, and is Chase yeah. Seifert a guy that, I mean, what would it take for him to get into the top two? I mean, is he, he's on the PGA tour, right? Or, or he's kind of straddles it with the PGA and. Yeah. He, he, he has limited status. So this limited is status. Yeah. The whole status thing is super complicated and would take an hour to explain, but he'll, he'll probably play maybe 20 tournaments this year on the PGA tour. And, and he's got the firepower. He's one of these guys who can you know easily go out and shoot 63 or 64 any day of the week. He just needs to, you know, be a little, little more consistent once he, once he's, uh, once he gets into a tournament, but this week there was actually, there was a, you know, they do Monday qualifying for four spots on, on each, on most PGA tour events. And, and he ended up in a playoff for the last spot. It was 16 guys competing, competing Holy for one moly. spot and he did not win, but he went to, he went to the range to practice and it turns out that somebody dropped out of the tournament and he was the next guy up. So he got in he's going to get a top 25 finish this week. So you know, top 25 finish that'll that'll pay for your year uh yeah there, it's a, so. that's a it's a good 100 grand for him to take home so yeah not a bad week no congrats to chase that's great uh and so yeah we've got uh you know the players championship comes up in a few weeks over at Pontevedra, and and then of course the master is coming up in april so i'm sure maybe we can talk a little more golf here in on the on the open boards uh, whenever or or hit michael up with twitter if you have a golf question and you're you're trying to get into golf or understand the qualifying status or understand the tour or who to watch out for just dm michael on on twitter and he he is your guy to go to um all right we uh I, we're right under i think 50, right about 50 minutes 50 that's great let's end it now i you know let's, let's go off on a good note there and I appreciate it. I appreciate the time, man. It's been it's been uh, it's been a hard season, but it seems like we're still getting a few moments here down the stretch to to remind us of why FSU basketball is so much fun. Yeah, we don't have that many games left, so if you're a basketball fan, tune in. There, win or lose, it's still worth watching. Yep. Uh, let's catch back up before the ACC tournament. Meanwhile, uh, so watch the golf, and for Michael, I'm Matt signing off. <laughs>